great to be with you all worshiping the Lord together and seeking to grow together in Christ in our lives. Don't you feel like it's getting harder and harder these days to maintain a positive outlook on life? Um, It's so difficult to remain optimistic when our society is so bent on pointing fingers and identifying the negative, even when there really isn't any negative to identify. Case in point, this week there was a Twitter storm over the fact that Ellen DeGeneres was broadcast on national TV watching a football game with former President George W. Bush. People were outraged at the fact that a progressive celebrity lesbian TV host would be seen with a conservative white former president of the United States. And not only seen, but actually getting along together and having a good time. Well, credits to Ms. DeGeneres for taking the high road and refusing to be Twitter-shamed into submitting to other people's small-mindedness and bigotry. But that is the world that we live in today, isn't it? Make one small move, make one off-handed remark, wear the wrong clothes, be seen in the wrong place with the wrong people, and the shamers and the haters will jump all over you. That's kind of the setting of the passage we're looking at today. Jesus finds himself in a similar awkward situation. But before we go there, we need to address the elephant in the room. And that is that there's a question about the veracity of this passage itself. In most of your Bibles, you might find a footnote. In the NIV, this is that footnote. Here it is. It says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. A few manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part after John 7:36 or John 21, 25, or Luke 21, 38, or Luke 24, 53. Now, question, why is this footnote here? Uh, It's here to alert the reader that this passage is not found in the oldest existing manuscripts of the Gospel of John, and therefore its reliability is put into question. The footnote goes on to say that some manuscripts have copied versions of the gospel, placed these verses in other parts of John, and even in another gospel, the gospel of Luke. So the question is, what's going on here? Well, let me say that the fact that there is a footnote doesn't necessarily mean that this passage is less reliable. It only means that the original source of the story can't completely be confirmed that the story exists and that it has been included in this spot of the gospel tells us that there is some evidence that it is a true story and that it is valid enough for the Bible editors to include it and to continue to view it as part of the canon of Scripture. In fact, this story is perhaps one of the most quoted passages in the New Testament and one that has stood the test of time for its truth and compassion. So having said that, I hope that we can dispel any concern for the reliability of the story and dig into it and see what Christ wants us to glean from it. Is that okay? Is that all right? Thank you. Otherwise, we just pack up everything and go home. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus went to teach in the temple courts. That's where we began. And he began 
And as he began, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, of the law and the Pharisees, bring a woman before Jesus, one who was caught in adultery, and they made her stand in front of everyone. Now, why would they choose this very public place at this very public time to bring this woman to Jesus? Was she in need of healing? Was she asking for counseling? Were they seeking to somehow encourage her to find wholeness and shalom? No, actually, it was all part of their plan, a plan to bring maximum shame and embarrassment to the woman and to put Jesus on the defensive to test his understanding of the law of Moses and the Jewish ways and to see if Jesus had any guts to stand up for himself. You see, shamers hold no consideration for human dignity or compassion. Their only concern is with self-preservation, and they only seek to tear down, not to build up. Have you ever been in this kind of situation? You know, the one that makes you want to go crawl under a rock? I think we can all relate to the feeling of wanting to avoid embarrassment, of seeking to save face, to avoid shame. Uh, Asians know a lot about saving face and avoiding shame. We live in a culture of shame. But in fact, that fear extends well beyond the Asian cultures. It's a human condition. It's something that I think we all can relate to. And Jesus knows this well, as do the scribes and the Pharisees. Here is the task they bring before Jesus. This woman was caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says we are to stone such women. What do you say? I have a sneaking suspicion that justice isn't what these men were seeking. I have a feeling that they weren't concerned with bringing this woman to be tried or even to give her a fair trial. How do I know this? How do we know this? Well, for one, why are they bringing her to Jesus? He isn't a judge. He's not even a highly recognized religious leader. And why in this very public place, and how exactly did they catch her in the act? And if they caught her in the act, where's the man? Right? It takes two to commit adultery. But only one was brought to Jesus. Makes you go, hmm, hmm, hmm. (laughs) These religious leaders weren't concerned with justice. In fact, the passage notes that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were using this woman as bait for Jesus to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. They were seeking to preserve their power base, their sense of self-worth. They were seeking to bring this woman and Jesus down in order to build themselves up and to maintain their own position of strength and of power. Isn't that true of all the Twitter haters? 
anyone who uses someone else as a way to publicly shame is only seeking to elevate their own self-worth. They are seeking to tear down and not to build up. Now, we can blame social media all we want, but let's be honest. Social media is only the most recent and the most convenient instrument used in this brutal game of one-upsmanship. But let me ask you the question, does it really work? Does it really have its impact? Does it really have the impact that they want it to have? On the contrary to me and probably to God, shamers and haters only serve to degrade themselves, to make themselves look foolish and stupid. The boomerang effect is in full force here. Or in the vernacular of the playground, I'm rubber and you're glue. What you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm really that old. But one lesson here. Here's the lesson. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be a hater. Don't be a shamer. Don't participate in it when it happens. Don't encourage others when they're doing it. Try to find ways to disarm the situation. Take the high road. That's Jesus' answer, and that should be our answer as well, because the answer to shame is grace. The answer to shame is grace. You will notice that Jesus doesn't even address their question. He doesn't even seem to give them the time of day. He very calmly and carefully begins to disarm the situation by what? Riding on the ground. Wait, what? Riding on the ground? Doesn't he understand the gravity of the situation? Doesn't he understand who is addressing him? Doesn't he understand what the religious leaders are trying to say to him? Does he even hear them? Actually, he does. He completely understands all that is going on around him. And as only he can do, he disarms a very hot situation with a very cool response. You see, the answer to shame is grace. The answer to fight, the answer is not to fight fire with fire. The answer is to pour cool water over a hot flame. The enemy keeps pursuing, keeps asking him, badgering him, maybe even demanding an answer. What's the matter, What's the matter Jesus? Cat got your tongue? Are you too chicken to answer? How does Jesus respond? The ultimate comeback. Stop you in your tracks, mic drop answer that anyone could ever have. It's no wonder that this story has lasted so long as a true gospel story. It is the ultimate Jesus answer and probably the most quoted. So how could it not be a real story about Christ? Quote, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now let's clarify that Jesus wasn't calling the scribes and Pharisees adulterers as well. He wasn't just throwing it back at them. He wasn't casting stones at them and saying, saying that they had no right to cast judgment if they weren't guilty of the same charge. 
What he is saying is that all are found guilty of sin, and we all deserve the death sentence. And that only those who are without sin have the right to cast judgment. And in this, in this case, the religious leaders were only using this woman as bait for Jesus. Their motives were far from pure. And that alone may have stopped them in their tracks. But the story tells us that not once, but twice, Jesus stoops down to write something on the ground. The author doesn't explain what exactly Jesus wrote on the ground. Only that he wrote something, so we know that Jesus could write. Some people conjecture he wrote the names of the accusers. Never met them, but he's writing their names. Some people think he wrote down some of their secret sins. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Regardless of what he wrote and whatever else was happening, something brought conviction to the hearts and minds of those men. Because slowly, one by one, they begin to walk away. First, it was the older men, and then the younger, until it was finally just Jesus and the woman. This is grace in action. This is grace applied. This was a life transformed. This was shame being answered by grace. You see, the result of grace is sanctuary. The result of grace is sanctuary. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Isn't it ironic that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees chose this place to accuse this woman and to try to trap Jesus? The temple and the temple courts were supposed to be a place of safety, of sanctuary. And yet they have changed its function. In fact, Jesus would later accuse the religious leaders of making the temple a den of robbers and thieves. The temple, the church, the synagogue, the place of worship was to be a place of safety and blessing for those seeking God, a place of shalom, of peace and wholeness, a place of welcome and of home. The word sanctuary has become a controversial one in recent days with the advent of sanctuary cities and now even sanctuary states. The idea of sanctuary may be a bit misunderstood. It's not just a place to hide and to escape. It's a place to find wholeness and restoration. Worship centers used to be called sanctuaries. They ought to be places where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth, where everyone is welcome, but no one leaves the same. It should be a place of rest and transformation. Unfortunately, these days, even churches can run the risk of being used as places of condemnation and high expectation. They are run more like businesses and less like places of refuge. 
I think that's why many folks of all generations look at churches today with skepticism and maybe even anger. But that doesn't need to be the case. Look at what Jesus had to offer the woman here. He asked her, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Then neither do I. Romans 8 tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. But Jesus doesn't leave the woman here. He, just does, he doesn't just not condemn her. He doesn't abandon her to her sin. He doesn't give up on her. He goes the extra mile. He takes her to a higher place. He doesn't stoop to her level. He lifts her up to his. Go now, he says, and leave your life of sin. That's you and me that he's talking to. That's a place of sanctuary. That's a place of transformation. Sanctuary isn't just leaving a life of condemnation. It's walking into a life of freedom. Sanctuary, in the sanctuary is where sanctification takes place. The continual change and, change and transformation of our souls into the likeness of Christ. It's a lifelong journey, but it always begins with one step. We don't know what happened to this woman. We don't even know who this woman is. She's not named. Some people in church history have actually conjectured that this was Mary Magdalene, and she's often portrayed this way. I want us to take a look at a scene from the movie Passion of the Christ. Mary Magdalene is portrayed as the woman caught in adultery. It's a powerful scene, and I think we'll be blessed to watch it.
If it was indeed Mary Magdalene, the Gospels record that she was one of the a first. A doctor who's about to make a shocking discovery. <laughs> if it was indeed Mary Magdalene. His life changed. <laughs> it is life changing. The Gospels record that she was one of the first to see Jesus at the, at the resurrection. It's a great story, isn't it? The woman Jesus saves from sure death, having the honor of being one of the first witnesses to the greatest event in history. She did leave a life of darkness and despair to become one of the most important early disciples of Christ. She found sanctuary after a life of shame. If that's not grace, I don't know what it is. Verse 12 tells us another teaching moment. Jesus goes on. He says to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of Jesus is the sanctuary of grace. Where do we find the sanctuary? In the light of Jesus. Whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the light, there is safety. In the light, there is sanctuary. In the light of Christ, there is hope and there is healing. Where are you today? Are you walking in the light? Are you following the Lord and walking in his light? Is your path illuminated with the grace of God? Or are you walking in darkness and in shame, trying to hide in the shadows for fear of losing face? Step out of the darkness and into a grace that is so glorious.